Greetings and welcome to Shnayim Mikra, series on Parshat Olech Lecha. My name is Yitzchak Et Shalom, and I am honored to be joining the OU for another round of Tanakh teaching via the Internet. It's a very exciting project, and uh, all of us who are participating are honored to be able to use this new vehicle to teach ancient truths. Uh, during the course of our study on Parshat Lech Lecha, seven short podcasts, we will be looking at the uh, different approaches of some of the Rishonim, classic commentators, towards understanding the narratives in Breshit and specifically the implications of the behavior and deeds of our heroic ancestors. And today, we're going to take a look at two comments of Ramban, from Moshe ben Nachman, both of which are associated with Psukim that we read in the first Aliyah of Parshat Lech Lecha. Parshat Lech Lecha, just as a quick overview, is made up of several key narratives, all of which focus on Avraham Avinu. The first very short narrative, which all of, all of which is subsumed in the first Aliyah, is the call to Avraham to leave his land, leave everything behind, and make his way to the land, quote-unquote, that I will show you. More on this a little bit later in the week. Uh, Avraham picks up, takes everything he has, and moves towards Eretz Canaan, gets to the city of Shechem, and at that point God appears and says, I'm going to give this land to your seed. Surprisingly, perhaps, Avraham continues to move and does not settle in, and moves south between Beit El and Ha'ai. A little while later, the second narrative kicks in. And that is perhaps a sub-narrative, perhaps an independent narrative of the famine. This is a cycle which will appear numerous times in Tanakh and later on in Jewish history of uh, a natural occurrence, almost always a famine, uh, forcing the nation or forcing the uh, tribe or forcing the individual to move in a direction in which important things will happen, important challenges will be faced, and of course, important responses will be uh, will be implicated. Uh, Avraham moves south to Egypt, as uh, Yaakov later does, Yaakov's children later do, as in moving in another direction, later on uh, Elimelech does, to go to Moab. And while in Egypt, of course, there is the whole interaction between Sarai and Paro, after which Avraham, who is now enriched, leaves Egypt, comes back to the land, and that leads us to the entire interaction between Avraham and Lot. The next passage in, Sefer, in uh, Parshat Lech Lecha, which occupies most of uh, Parak Yudala, chapter 14, is the war between the four major empires of the, Babylon, of the Mesopotamian Valley, against many kings, including five small kings uh, from the Jordan Valley, uh, the, af- the aftermath of which is the rescue of Lot by Avraham, which leads to the detente with Avraham and the king of Sodom, and then the very next very critical and very central scene in Sefer Breshit, Brit ben Avatarim, the first compact made between God and Avraham, in which Avraham is ultimately promised that his children will suffer in a foreign land, but then they will come out with great riches, and then they will occupy this land. We then have an interesting interlude in Parak Zion, which is 
the relationship between Sarai, Hagar, and Avraham, which ultimately leads to the birth of Ishmael, and we will focus on that in our sixth podcast. And the end of the parsha is the second Brit made between God and Avraham, and that is Brit Milah, uh, which concludes, and at the end of our parasha, concludes with Avraham and all of the people in his house, including Ishmael, undergoing Brit Milah and entering the covenant. But we look at the first Aliyah, and as I said, it includes that relatively short narrative of the call to Avraham and Avraham's successful exodus from Haran, which is likely in South Turkey, and making his way down to Canaan, and then the famine. We take a look at Ramban, and Ramban, Nachmanides, lived in the 13th century in Spain and later in Eretz Israel. The Ramban in his commentary, in his commentary and throughout the book of Bereshit, is a, is a thing of wonder and is absolutely beautiful and gorgeous. Uh, in Pasuk Vav, uh, presents a, a, an approach of his, which he repeats and refers to numerous times throughout Bereshit. And here he lays it out. And he says, I will tell you a general rule. Everything that we find the patriarchs doing in Bereshit is essentially trailblazing. In other words... Each one of the Avot, Avraham, Yitzhak, and Yaakov, undertook a new path and blazed a trail so that for their children, there would be, so that there would be a path ready for their children to follow in the future. And he says, as an example, what happened here is Avraham came to the land, um, and entered the land, and a little while later, there was an enter the land from the north, coming from Haran, there was a famine, as a result of that, he went down to Egypt. As a result of that, he had terrible family. His family was threatened, and he had terrible family troubles as his wife was taken by Paro. God visited terrible plagues on Paro, and as a result, Paro, who had enriched Abraham, and there was a little bit of a uh, disconnect here, and we're going to reconnect in a minute, uh, Avram, who had been enriched by Pharaoh, ostensibly as a suitor for Avraham's supposed sister, now leaves the country, family in tow, family intact, and greatly enriched. Later on, the same thing happens to Yaakov, but over the course of generations. Yaakov takes his family down to Egypt at the end of Sefer Breshit, something we will talk about when we get to Parshat Vayigash together, and goes down as a result of a famine, comes to Egypt. Ultimately, his family undergoes terrible travails. God visits plagues on Pharaoh and his household and the house of Egypt. As a result of that, Am Yisrael is enriched and ends up leaving. Now, there's, as I mentioned, a bit of a disconnect here in the Ramban's parallel, and he doesn't address it directly. And the Ramban is not that concerned with the uh, analogy not lining up perfectly, or the morph not lining up perfectly. But in the case of Avraham, when we read this text directly, Avraham is enriched before the plagues come to Pharaoh. He's enriched in order to get Sarah into the house. In the parallel, when Am Yisrael is enriched in Egypt, they are enriched after having um, um, been the vehicle or the lightning rod for the plagues on Egypt. And the Egyptians gave them money, basically saying, take the money and get out of here. Go. And so it's a very, very different context of enriching. However, we take a look at the very, very earliest layer of post-biblical commentary, and just a, a note about that. If you think about when the earliest comment on the Tanakh, on any 
any piece in the Tanakh is? The answer is it's in the Tanakh itself. There are numerous, countless examples where the Tanakh provides parshanut on itself. Classic examples are when the Torah tells us in Sefer Shmot, Perak Yudbet, that you may not cook the Korban Pesach, it must be roasted. And then in Dvarim Tetzayin, it seems to say that you cook the Korban Pesach. So in Divrei Hayamin, the, one of the last, last books of the, to be written in Tanakh, we have in the context of the story of Pesach Yoshiahu, Mivushal Ba'esh, cooked in fire. In other words, it seems to be commenting on the phrase cooked in Sefer Dvarim and saying that it really means roasted and not cooked in water. Um, but there are countless, and I wrote an article a number of years ago that was published in a short-lived uh, journal called Nahala, uh, paralleling and so showing how the Akedah, seem, the, the story of Bilam and his travel on the donkey, seemed to be something of a comment on the story <coughs> of the Akedah. In any case, um, the, th- that is the earliest stratum of commentary on Tanakh. It's in the Tanakh itself. However, subsequently, the earliest layer of biblical commentary that we have that is post-Tanakh comes from the end of the era of the Second Temple. And that includes things that we found in the Dead Sea Scrolls, things that we found in the Apocrypha, those books that were not included in Tanakh, and things that we found quoted by such luminaries such as Philo and Josephus, etc., and one of the directions taken in that very early commentary, which was a different style of writing, it was not commentaries were familiar with it, quoting a verse and then writing a short or long essay on it, but rather it was sort of a rewrite of the material, uh, adding in the Midrashim uh, current in the day, um, addressed the problem of Avraham being enriched by Pharaoh. And part of the reason they address it is because, as we will see later on in the parasha. Avraham refuses to become enriched by the spoils of war by the king of Stom. And it's kind of strange, because after all, here he's being enriched by Paro, who certainly is no paragon of virtue, and being enriched as uh, as part of a deception, as opposed to the king of Stom, who wants to give him uh, st- uh, goods that he had properly uh, earned with through war, and he refuses them. And as a result of that and several other difficulties, some of the earliest Midrashim on the story sort of rewrite it and have Avraham being enriched by Pharaoh not as a suitor who wants to gain Avraham's sister's hand in marriage, but rather for reparations for what uh, Pharaoh had done, which he admitted was wrong, in taking Sarah into his palace. That being that may indeed be driven by the analogy between Avraham's behavior and what happened to Bnei Israel subsequently, where they were enriched not in order to come to Egypt, but rather in order really to leave Egypt and as something akin to reparations for the hard work that they suffered. In any case, this is the direction. This is the direction that Avraham, that uh, the Ramban takes in understanding in understanding. Um, uh, the uh, the story of the stories of Avraham, Yitzhak, and Yaakov that they are essentially blazing a trail. That's piece one. Of what I'd like to look at in the Ramban, but piece two is at the end of the Saliyah, where there is a famine in Egypt, and Avraham uh, picks up the family and goes down to uh, to to Egypt. Uh, sorry, there's a famine in the land, and Avraham picks up the family and goes down to Egypt. 
The Ramban's comments here are startling and certainly not the type that we are generally accustomed to hearing, at least in our day. And that is, the Ramban opens up and says that Avraham chatachet gadol bezeh. He sinned, it was a grievous sin, he calls it a chet, not an avon, it was a mistake, but a grave mistake, in that God had told him, go to the land, I will make you great there, I will I will uh, give you a great name there, and Avram came to the land, and when there was a famine, he picked up and left. God didn't tell him to leave, and he didn't take counsel with God, and he left on his own, and it was a lack of trust. The Ramban then goes on further to say that Avraham also sinned inadvertently by exposing his wife to the possibility of adultery by saying that she was his sister, and he, sh- again, should have had faith in God that God, who could protect Biravu Vimaat, whether there he has a large army or a small army, God could certainly protect him, being the righteous one, to come and say, she's my wife, try to touch me. And instead he didn't. The Ramban, this is a, an approach of the Ramban, which we see later in our parsha when discussing Sarai's behavior with Hagar, and, uh, and it's something which, again, is not very current in today's uh, understanding or approach to, to reading the Avot. Why does the Ramban say this? There are several, several answers, and I'd like to suggest two, which I think dovetail together. One of them is driven by the first comment. Because as opposed to other Rishonim who read the activities of the Avot as building foundations, sometimes foundations which are prophetic in nature, such as Rashi's comment based on the Midrash, that when Avraham came to Ha'ai, he prayed because he saw that in the future, Am Yisrael is going to suffer their defeat. Say for Yoshua Perak Zion, at Ha'ai, he prayed there. Instead, the Ramban reads the Avot not as creating a foundation or as uh, establishing some perennial reality, but rather as blazing a trail. And blazing a trail means a trail for real people to follow. And as such, the Ramban seems to be committed to seeing the Avot as certainly heroic, certainly people of amazing stature, people um, who uh, we are at best dwarfs riding on the shoulders of these giants, and yet human nonetheless, and subject to uh, frailty, subject to misunderstanding, uh, subject to, uh, to, to erring, and in some cases even to, to sinning. And this seems to be the approach to the Ramban. Over the course of the next two podcasts, we'll look at several other approaches. However, I think there's something else that may be driving the Ramban in, uh, in his approach here. Um, when we look at the Avot, when we look at Avraham, Yitzhak, and Yaakov, who of course are, have always been held up as the paragons of virtue and as the models for us to emulate. Halavai, like it says Tanavayliyahu, a person should always say, Matai, Yagiu, Maasai, Lamasai, Avotai, Avraham, Yitzhak, Yaakov. When will my actions ever reach the actions of Avraham, Yitzhak, and Yaakov? Everything we should look at, we should see that as being the goal to shoot for. And yet, when we, if we, if we read the Avot as being somewhat superhuman, if we read the Avot as being beyond the possibility of mistake, as that everything that they do that's questionable we have to somehow explain as being driven by virtue and driven by righteousness and driven by uh, absolute awareness of everything, then they no longer become models because there's no way that any of us could possibly emulate the behavior of somebody who's superhuman. And that may be in addition, or instead, what is driving the Ramban to take the approach that the Avot, as great as they were, and as much as they were really the building blocks and the foundation stones of our nation, really um, were subject, as the 
pasuk in Koala testifies, Ein adim adam tzadik paratz Hashem asetov uh, we're subject to error, subject to seeing things different ways, and to and to making mistakes. In the next couple of podcasts, we'll take a look at different approaches among the Rishonim to this very same problem. But in the meantime, we will pause at this point and uh, wish everyone a good day. And we'll see you tomorrow with our next podcast on the second Aliyah of Parshat Lech Lecha.